Welcome to the CTNNB1 Connect and Cure podcast, your go-to place to hear the latest information, research, and happenings going on in the CTNNB1 community. Tune in to find comfort, community, and connection. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, CTNNB1 mom, Annie Wood. I'm curious if you have ever felt like an imposter in your life. In this episode, I sat down and chatted with my friend and CTNMB1 mom, Tony Pace, and discussed just this. Leading up to our recording, I had emailed her to discuss what we are going to talk about during our podcast, and she said, I still feel like I know nothing about anything. I always feel like an imposter when I'm encouraging friends and parents, because I still feel sad some days. I had never used this term before, but she was definitely on to something. I couldn't feel this anymore and totally understood where she was coming from. I have days like this all the time. So if you ever feel like an imposter, don't worry. So do we. Please enjoy this next episode with my dear friend, Tony. Hello, Tony. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Hello, Annie. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Now that I get a chat with you, it's been a while, so I always love catching up. I know. I love our times together. Well, Tony and I share a lot of similarities, especially in that we each have four children. So, Tony, I would love for you to start with just introducing yourself and your family so we can all get to know you a little bit. All right. So, my name's Tony, and I live in Oklahoma. Um, I have four children. Like Annie said, my oldest is 21, and then I have a 17-year-old. I have a five-year-old. And then Isabella is our three-year-old CTNNB1 kiddo. Um, so it's it's always a adventure here at our house. And, you know, we also have a dog and a cat. And so there's always lots of noise and chaos happening. And bringing in a, a child with special needs definitely has made it extra chaotic. Definitely. And you had said, like, you felt like you had figured out the parenting thing with your oldest too. And then throwing Bella in there at the end, it's like, oh, totally starting everything all over. (laughs) It was already starting over, but definitely, you know, Lucas is his own little, my five-year-old, he's his own little wild man. And then, you know, with Bella, it's just, it, it's a whole different world in itself. And, you know, each kid is different anyway, but when you add in, the the different challenges that we face it definitely mixes things up even more makes it more interesting yes it's fun it's an adventure there you go an adventure <laughs> so tell us about bella and learning about her diagnosis how old was she and how did that all go for you absolutely so she actually i had problems during my pregnancy with her um i all my other pregnancies were smooth but when i was pregnant with her they noticed that um I had IUGR, which is inner uterine growth restriction. And then I also had low amniotic fluid. So I was doing a lot of um, ultrasounds before she was born and kind of just watching all that. And we knew that we were going to have to deliver early. So she was born at 35 weeks and we kind of expected a NICU stay, but unfortunately it kind of went downhill pretty quickly. So when she was born, Um, she went to the NICU within 24 hours, she had a pneumothorax and then she had another one. And then she ended up um, with 
a PPD, which is um, persistent pulmonary hypertension. And so they sent us over or sent her over to our children's hospital here in Oklahoma. And then she ended up on ECMO, which is basically just life support. And uh, we really didn't know if we were going to get to bring her home. So she was on that for um, four or five days. And then she came off and she slowly started getting better and stronger. And it was, it was really a miracle. And so um, 39 days in the NICU and then they sent us home. No, you know, clean, clean beer bill of health. So she, no oxygen, no medicine. They said her heart was fine. She was good to go. But they did tell us at that time that because she had been on ECMO, that she had a higher risk of having um, cerebral palsy. And so we were able to get on early intervention because she was a preemie. There were only a few delays we saw kind of early on. And so, I mean, we just, we had some, a nurse that was coming out and was kind of working with us on progress and growth. And and I kept noticing things were just not where they should be. And they just kept saying, Oh no, it's, it's just, she's a preemie. She's a preemie. She'll catch up. She'll catch up. And, um, you know, at the back of my head, I just kept thinking she definitely has CP. And so, you know, I kind of kept pushing the doctors for that. So around a year old, we noticed a couple little things like um, her left eye kind of went the other direction. And one of her hands kind of just like drug behind when she was rolling over. So they did send us to a neurologist and also to an ophthalmologist. So she did get glasses. She has terrible vision, but so far no um, fever. But we are keeping an eye on that. The neurologist that we saw, thankfully, was just pretty sure that she didn't have CP and felt like the issues that we had during pregnancy were probably related to something genetic that was causing everything else and not the other way around. Because her MRIs were all clear, everything looked good. So we actually did two separate rounds of genetic testing. And when she was 18 months, we finally got a diagnosis. And it kind of just all made sense. Once we found the Facebook group, it was like, oh, wow, like this, this is it. This is exactly what it is. So there was a little bit of a relief, you know, it's not CP, but it was like, oh, this, this may be way worse. <laughs> like there's a not lot of knowing. Different... Yeah. And so then we, we just kind of, we learn every day something new. I think it goes a lot to say, there's a lot to be said for parents, mother's intuition. Cause I went through that early with Preston, you know, it's like, oh no, he's just delayed. He's just developmentally delayed. And it's like, no, I feel something's there. And just getting to the right point of somebody listening and being like, okay, well, let's go make sure. And I definitely think, you know, Preston was your first. And I always kind of wonder if, you know, having Bella first would have changed anything. You know, would I, would it have taken me longer to get a diagnosis? But having three other kids, I definitely, but I didn't have a preemie. So, you know, I kind of still felt like, oh, this is different. Maybe it's just because of that. And it was really it, there is, I mean, there is that mother's intuition and I definitely knew something just wasn't quite right. And so I'm glad we had a neurologist that, that listened. And, and actually I believe she was the one that had diagnosed and one of the other two parents here in Oklahoma that has a child with CT and MB1. Well, that definitely helped, but yeah, you definitely have to listen to your gut with things and, and keep fighting for those things that, you know, like I need more help with this. So about a week ago, we were emailing and kind of trying to come up with, you know, what we are going to talk about. And 
I loved what you said after a bunch of other things. You said, sometimes I feel like an imposter, you know, and I, that just hit home. And like, sometimes we're just, we feel like a fraud. Sometimes you're the whole fake it till you make it. So I'm just curious if you can share why you had said that in our email. So you kind of asked what, if there was anything I was passionate about, and I really felt like I'm, I'm passionate about a lot of things, but there's not one thing. I, I really try every day to encourage people, especially when I see newly diagnosed parents on our Facebook group or just out and about, I see people, I just try to encourage them and give them, you know, I think what I, what I would want and what, what was helpful for me, especially in those early days of being diagnosed. So, but I feel like an imposter when I do that, because I, I can give the advice and I can tell people, you know, it's going to get easier and you got to do the self-care and you got to do this and you got to do that. And, and it gets easier. It gets better. It's a grieving process. And I say all the things, but sometimes it's so much easier to say it than to actually do it. Definitely. What do you feel you're struggling with right now the most as a parent? Wow. Um, I think probably still the isolation and um, just the, the loneliness and not really knowing where I fit in, in our own community, you know, our CTNNB1 community, the special needs community, and just in life. It's been, it's been really hard for me over the last few years. You know, Bella was diagnosed January of 2021. I lost my mom to pancreatic cancer in April of 2021. And then in May, because of everything that was going on, I had to give up my job at that time. And I had done human resources prior. And I was, I loved my job. I loved the people that I worked with. I worked for a nonprofit. It was very fulfilling. I never saw myself as a stay-at-home parent. And so having to, and I say having to, getting to give those things up and then kind of learning how to redefine myself individually in this journey while also, you know, so much of my time and energy and resources goes to all my kids, but, you know, especially Isabella, because it takes so much time to do the therapies and the appointments and just in general, she's has a lot of needs. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember reading posts from people that saying, you know, I've had to give up my job. Like, how does everybody else, you know, how are you doing this? How are you making it work? Because there are a lot of appointments and there is a lot of running and you, you were one that had to be put in that situation where you had to give up a good job for staying home. Absolutely. And I actually recently was given an opportunity. I thought, oh, I'm, you know, Bella goes to school part-time in the mornings, five days a week. I felt like I had a little bit more time. I think I'm ready to kind of get back out there. So I, you know, put out some feelers. The next thing I know, just out of the blue, somebody that I used to work with uh, reached out to me and said, hey, I have an opportunity. It's part-time. It's really part-time. It's for an organization that um, definitely interested me. I thought it would be a great opportunity. I could do it in the time that I had. And then I found out very quickly that I actually don't have any time. (laughs) Um, And it just after a couple of weeks, I had to go back to him and say, I just, this isn't going to work. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to give enough of myself to, to my work. And I've always, when I've worked, I've always tried to do a 
you know, the best job that I can. And I didn't feel like I could do that. And so I almost felt like I had to give it up again, even though I only did it for a little while. I think when Bella gets a little bit older and she's maybe in school full time, it'll be easier. But right now, you know, she only goes for about three hours a day. So there just aren't a lot of options for care and to find care that meets her specific needs. It just isn't possible right now. Definitely. She needs her mom right now. And that's, it's good and it's, but it's difficult at the same time. It's really hard. So you said you felt pretty isolated, and I think a lot of families and parents feel that way. How do you manage friendships? How does that work for you? So for me, I have a couple of you know really good friends that I've had forever that you know have really kind of stuck by me through this and just through really all the struggles in my life. You know, I've dealt with a lot of loss previous to this, but you know, I've had to kind of redefine some of the relationships that I've had. And then I've also, I think, worked really hard in this last year to try to build new relationships. And so I found some CT and NB1 families that I've tried to connect with. I, um, I've tried to be a little more active in social media, just because I know a lot of our community is really spread out. I've gone to a couple of local support groups for other parents with special needs and met a couple people that way. Um, But it's also really hard in our situation because we don't have any family here in Oklahoma. Our closest family is really, you know, all the way in Virginia. We've got some family in California, but we're kind of out here on our own. And a lot of the relationships that we had have kind of changed simply because we aren't able to do a lot of things that other people are able to do. And we don't see people on a regular basis or they don't see our day to day to know really kind of what, what it's like for us every day. I think it's sometimes kind of easy to hide that too. You know, and I, I think about if I stop and I think about it, like you plan out so many things. Like when I get somewhere, I already know my exit strategy, you know, because you never know when the behaviors are going to start. And you, and you're ready for the first trigger. It's like, okay, we're going to stay ahead of this. So as soon as you start to feel like something's going to go left, you're out the door. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, Bella has also uh, mobility issues. And so we've had to start bringing a wheelchair and understand that she can't walk places. And there's a lot of places she can't crawl either. So we either have to carry her. You know, even just going to the park, we have to pick specific parks to make sure, you know, if our friends that have younger kids are like, oh, you want to go play at the park? We can't really go to one that has sand because that's, that's fun dip for her. (laughs) And (laughs) we can't, you know, there's just a lot of things that we can't, we can't do. Um, But then when we do things, we also, like you said, have to plan it. We have to make sure that it's accessible, that we have you know, even something as small as going to an indoor playground this last winter when it was colder out. Um, If I'm by myself with my two younger kids, I have to make sure that we're going someplace where Isabella is safe, but I can also let Lucas live his life because that's another challenge is having other kids and, and you know this and not wanting them to miss out on life and experiences 
and become resentful. So you, you have to factor that part of it in too and make sure that you're meeting the needs of everyone in the family as much as possible. Yeah, and that can be difficult. I remember back when Preston was little, and this is way before I even knew he had CTN NB1, and I would go to a friend's house just to hang out for a couple hours, and I would literally pack like I was going on an overnight trip, and they'd be like, what are you doing? It's like, but even then, back then, you know, his needs changed, and his behaviors and his moods changed so quickly. I just needed to be ready for everything and anything. You have to have the snacks and you got to have the specific cups. You have to make sure that, you know, and with Bella, even just going out to eat at a restaurant, it's, we don't do that with her very often because she doesn't use utensils and she's a very messy eater. She also is very loud. Yes. And we don't want to disrupt other people at the restaurant or people that we're going with. So if we have to, or if we're going to go meet somebody at a, re- a, a restaurant, we usually try to find someone to watch her just because it's so much easier that way. But if we do go, we always have a backpack full of yep. you know, the right toys <laughs> and the right books and all the things to distract her. Ready for anything. That's right. <laughs> I'll never forget. We met in Moline last summer when you came down for the conference and I'll never forget that night we went out for pizza and, and we weren't even, we didn't even leave the hotel so we can pretend we went out, but we went just, you know, downside, (laughs) downstairs outside. And it was just like mass chaos, but loving and friendly and accepting. And it's like, nobody once said, I'm sorry, they're, you know, screaming and having a fit or foods going everywhere. We just, it was, we embraced each other and our craziness. And it's like the first time there didn't have to be a story or an excuse or a reason why we were the way we were. It really, that was actually probably a really open eye, open eye opening experience for me because I think it was really the first time that I've shared a meal with other families since having Bella where I didn't feel like I had to explain or that's, that's rare these days to not be in a situation where there's at least some level of, concern for what other people are thinking. Definitely. It was very freeing weekend, I feel like. And that's like when you say you feel so isolated, that's why I just want to encourage families to connect to other CTN and B1 families, no matter how far away you are. I mean, there's a few of us that in a group text, you know, we're all spread out across the United States. But in those moments, you know, when we're feeling low, or even when we're feeling you know, happiness of all these exciting things. It's nice to share that text and you can go weeks without talking to each other, but you know, the moment you send that text, your, our cheerleaders and our supports are right there. I really think it's important for people and I'm looking forward to June and heading back to New Jersey and we're all going to be reunited again. That's going to be exciting to see everybody get in New Jersey. But, and then I encourage those who are coming that haven't been to a meetup before, like be vulnerable You know, just don't feel like you have to put on a show or to hide all the awful parts, you know, just be vulnerable to connect and um, meet people the weekend we're there together because you can really make lifelong friendships. Absolutely. And I think that's probably the biggest thing I've learned just in this journey with Isabella is to ask for help. I am not good at asking for help, but, and I'm not, and I'm not great at letting people know when I'm hurting or when things are really tough and I'm still not great, but I definitely have gotten better 
about letting people see the hard side too and embracing every side of this journey and just being really real about what it's like. Because I think that's really the only way that other people outside of the community can learn what we go through, but also, you know, to, to get help if you need it. People don't know you're hurting if you don't tell them. Yeah. I think just this week, somebody posted, um, you know, like when do you get past like the grieving and the sadness and maybe even anger at your child's diagnosis? And there were so many people that commented because I don't know if it ever fully goes away. And like you said, it, it gets better when you get older, but it's still there. And, and it's okay that you still just some days just want it to all go away. But I embrace the fact that I've met so many amazing people. And I think of all the crazy things, good things that have been brought into my life because of it, including this podcast. So I think if you hang on to those positives and you find those people, I think that's what helps me with the sadness for sure. Absolutely. And I had heard someplace else one day that, you know, this is a community that none of us ever wanted to be a part of, but it is really full of some of the most amazing people. And that's probably one of the most true things about any of this, just amazing families that are resilient and kids that are just, just light in this world. I definitely agree. Well, you are getting ready to travel to Virginia, I know, soon. And then you have New Jersey coming up. You guys like to travel a lot. How do you plan for that? I'm just curious because we're getting ready for a few trips too. And talking about just going to a <laughs> restaurant and what you have to pack. But um, for those getting ready to take those long trips. And you guys drove from Oklahoma when you came up to Moline. So what advice do you have for parents with traveling? So the biggest thing that we do is we spread it out. So our trip to Virginia, we take about once a year. It's about 21 hours driving, but we usually try to spread it out over three days. If we can make it in two, that's great, but we don't push ourselves. We plan for, you know, lots and lots and lots of breaks. And every time that we stop, we try to go to a playground. And we kind of joke that it's our, you know, grand playground tour of North America because we've been to so many playgrounds and we pack picnics. So there's a cooler in the back and we will go make a picnic or, you know, make, make sandwiches, have a picnic, play at the playground and let the kids run for a while and then get back in the car. And then we just do that multiple times. And we try to stop early. If we can stop someplace that has a hotel pool, then we do that. Let them swim. Um, you know, we've had trips where it was pouring down rain. We have a rain bag in the back. Let the kids get soaking wet, dry them off, change their clothes in the back of the van put them back in the car seats and, you know, just to get that energy out. And really it's, um, I, I think the biggest thing is just being flexible and know that it's never going to go like you plan ever, but you just kind of have to be flexible, give yourself as much time as possible and try to enjoy it because, you know, there's so many beautiful things in these little trips that we take and, um, you know, I, the memory of us playing in the pouring down rain in some random playground in the middle of, I think it was Tennessee is one that will stick with us forever. And one time we found, you know, just this little playground by a covered bridge. Like, I mean, we've just found some really cool places just randomly because we've stopped and, you know, taken in the sights along the way and made 
an adventure out of the whole thing. I think you're right there. You just have to try to enjoy enjoy the moments and and get the best out of those little moments, even if it's dancing in the rain, like you said. Yep, absolutely. And pack snacks. Oh, all Lots those of snacks. snacks. <laughs> Keep them busy. Ours is always make sure the iPads are charged. There's enough shows downloaded. <laughs> yep, got to do that. But you're right. Finding the hotel with the pool, that's usually like the carrot dangling at the end of the long days. <laughs> We're going to go swimming tonight. so And that I wears them out. Too. Yes, and then they'll sleep, hopefully. So well, I have really enjoyed you coming on and sharing with me today. Um, you were a big uh, motivation to me getting this started. I know way back before I was just like doing practice podcasts with you. I'm like, Tony, I can't even figure out this equipment. Help me out here. And <laughs> I just appreciate you and, and then coming on and sharing about your life. Um, just another way to for people to connect more with us. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And Annie, thank, thank you for all that you're doing for our community because, you know, I know that this is, um, you know, takes time out of your day and out of your very busy life. And but it means a lot to our community. And so thank you for all that you do for us. Well, wonderful. I am excited to see you this summer in New Jersey. We're only a few months away now. So have a safe trip um, on your travels and we'll be catching up soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. This has been the CTNNB1 Connect and Cure podcast, a place for CTNNB1 family and friends to come together for support and to build community. We hope this podcast continues to be a place where you can go for the latest CTNNB1 information.